So glad to see you. So glad to be back. I bring greetings from Israel, where it turns out it's hot in June. Who knew? You know, now I know why we don't go there in June. Masada in June, passing out salt pills. So glad to be here, although it's hot here too. I guess it's hot everywhere, right? So, but so glad to be here. We'll be here the rest of the month. Now, here's what you don't know. You're going to see this on CNN later. It's going to be New York Times, Wall Street Journal. Next week, you know, is going to be chapel, but the week after that, most important chapel of the year because two of my grandkids are coming. Perfect. Did I mention perfect grandchildren? In two weeks. Start, you know, write it on your calendar. We may need extra chairs. Mike may need extra security, you know. We'll arrange photo ops, you know, autographs, all that. So um, I know you think you have perfect grandkids too. I know I get that, but I have the microphone. So there, if you want to go to seminary and learn how to heard it out. <laughs> Sheila, did you do that? She says she didn't do it. Maybe God did it. Maybe I'm, maybe, in fact, today we're going to talk about humility. Maybe there's a humility story here. All right. All right. I can take a hint. I can learn a thing or two. Janet says God has a sense of humor. Yeah, there you go. Well, all right then. I guess we should just kind of pray and go on, should we? So when you're in a hole, quit digging, as they say, right? Well, let's pray. Father, thank you that we get to be here, that we get to do this together, that we get to be a family in the faith. I pray, God, that you'll guide our time in your word now. I pray that when we're done, we'll understand how we can experience the awakening, the movement of your spirit that is so much what you want for each of us. Help us to be part of that in our own hearts. Help us to experience your good, pleasing, and perfect will in our own souls. Help us to walk away today, Father, with some very practical ways every day we can live a life you can bless. I pray that for me, and I pray that for us. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. And so the world didn't change a lot over the last two weeks, as it turns out. This is in this morning's news that the Chinese foreign minister is stating that China will fight to the end for Taiwan. Now, that's just a couple weeks after the United States president said that we would defend Taiwan militarily. So who knows where that's going to turn out. In the Donbass region in Ukraine, it's getting worse today. This morning's New York, excuse me, Wall Street Journal has a story about all the ghost towns that have been created by Russian aggression there. All the people that are fleeing, all the entire cities that are being devastated by all that. You've been seeing the March for Our Lives all across the weekend, hundreds of cities around the country. You may have seen that Jamie Dimon, the CEO of uh, J.P. Morgan, recently told investors to prepare for an economic hurricane. As he sees rising inflation, as he's worried, obviously, about continued aggression in the Ukraine, he's thinking about uh, the Federal Reserve and interest rates and all that's going into all of that together. And, of course, this is Pride Month with all that's that means. Now, aren't you glad you came to chapel today, huh? In the midst of all that. Well, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament way to respond to what we need in our culture. I believe that America needs a more unspiritual awakening on a more heightened level than ever before in my lifetime. I think the greatest need of America today is for a great movement of the Spirit of God, a transforming movement of the Spirit of God. He's done that four times in American history. 1734, 1792, 1858, 1904, and 5. We've seen what we call great awakenings, great movements of the Spirit of God. In the fourth great awakening that started in Wells, for instance, the police made barbershop quartets to sing in churches because they had nobody to arrest. 
The police stations shut down. The saloons went out of business. The coal mines shut down for a time because the coal miners all got converted, stopped using obscene language, and the mules could no longer understand their commands. Isn't that great? We've seen this happen in the past. We're seeing it around the world right now. We're seeing more Muslims coming to Christ in the last 15 years than the previous 15 centuries. When I was at the David Citadel Hotel in Jerusalem, I ran into Tom Doyle. We've had Tom out here in the past. He's a good friend, Tom and Joanne given his life to ministry in the Middle East, documenting incredible stories, signs and wonders, visions and dreams, God working in the Muslim world. I was told in Beijing, 28, maybe as many as 100,000 a day coming to Christ in the underground church in China, 28,000 a day sub-Saharan Africa, a million in Cuba the last 10 years. God's doing amazing things in the world. How do we join him? How can we be part of all that? Well, the Old Testament offers us one pathway. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Heal their land. Well, there's a New Testament corollary to this that is critical to our relationship with God and each other. So we've been talking about relationships for the last number of weeks. We look together at to parenting, then at Mother's Day, then at forgiveness and receiving forgiveness. Next week is Father's Day. So in the midst of all that, today let's take a time out and talk about a relationship with God on a transformative level. How could you have more of God than you have right now? How could you and I experience the reality of God, the grace of God, the presence of God, the forgiveness of God on a transforming level right now? How can God heal our land? Well, here's the New Testament corollary to the Old Testament. This is our text very briefly today. Romans 12, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The good, acceptable, perfect will of God. So walk through it with me. I appeal to you. The Greek says, I beg you. I beseech you, the King James says. Brothers, these are Christians. This isn't how to become a Christian. It's how to live as a Christian. We do this by the mercies of God and light of the mercies of God. Don't do this so God will love you. Do this because God loves you. Don't do this so God will be merciful. Do this because God has been merciful. In response to the mercy of God, this is what God says to do. Present your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. The word translated present is a technical word for placing an offering on the altar. To present your body is to present all of you. He didn't say present your Sunday or present your quiet time or present an arm and a leg. Present your body, he says, not once, not even once a week, as a living sacrifice. Surrender your life as a living sacrifice. Live on the altar Surrender, be surrendered. This is what is holy and acceptable to God, and that is worship. Not just showing up, not attending chapel, not preaching sermons at chapel, not singing in a choir, not being on a committee. God measures worship by the degree to which right now, today, we are presenting our lives as a living sacrifice to him. That's what he's after. He's after you. He wants all of you. 
He wants to bless all of you, but he can only bless what he can touch. He wants to lead every dimension of your life, but he can only lead if you'll follow. He wants to use you to make a transforming difference in your culture, but he can only use what will be used. That's the key to live a surrendered life, to stay on the altar. Now, what does that mean in practical terms? Well, it means two things. First of all, don't be conformed to this world. The Greek says stop being conformed to this world. Stop being conformed to how the world measures success. Stop measuring your life by your possessions or your popularity or your performance or your perfectionism. Stop measuring your life by what other people think of you or what you think other people think of you. Stop measuring success the way the world does. Instead, measure success like this. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What he's talking about is spending time in Scripture, spending time in prayer, spending time in worship, walking in the presence of God, praying through the day. You have a decision, you pray about it, a challenge, you pray about it, a temptation, you ask for strength. If you fall to the temptation, you ask for forgiveness and grace. You practice the presence of Jesus. You live in the presence of Jesus. You walk through your day as a living sacrifice. And then you will be able to discern and know God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Well, we have a problem here. We Americans, we Westerners, we have learned all the way back to Plato and before Plato to separate Sunday from Monday, spiritual from secular religion from the real world. We have learned to compartmentalize our lives. We have learned to check the God box. We have learned to make God part of our lives, but not all of our lives. We have learned to, have, to seek all of God we want, not all of God we need. We can learn a thing or two. So when you go to Israel, you always go to the Western Wall. And when we went to the Western Wall, as we have done 30, 35 times over the years that I've led study tours over there, we always see the Jewish people there with their prayer shawls. Uh, what they call a tefillah, or a tefillah. It's uh, a kind of a, here I'll give you a closer picture of it. It's a shawl that they wear over their shoulders and their head when they pray. 613 fringes around the edges of this shawl, one for every Jewish command. The Jews live every day by 613 commands. The observant Jews do. 365 negative commands, one for every day of the year, 248 positive commands, one for every member of the body, as the rabbis used to count that. 613 commands. And these fringes remind them of that. And so when they go to the Western Wall or when they pray three times a day, we'll get back to that in a second, they have this shawl that they put over their heads and that they pray under. And you see them there when they're at the Western Wall. But they have something else they wear underneath their clothing. And observing you. You'll see this in Dallas. You'll see it in Fort Worth. You see it in Israel. This is a different version of a prayer shawl that they wear under their clothing all the time. If I were an observant Jew, I'd be wearing that right now. You'd see the fringes hanging out from underneath my vest or my shirt right now. They wear it between their undershirt and their shirt all the time, every day. It's how Judaism is practiced, at least in the Orthodox Jews. In America, not so much with the Reform or even the Conservative necessarily, but the Orthodox, even in America, you see the same thing. And then you see the yarmulke on their heads all the time, not just on the Shabbat, the Sabbath, not just at the Western Wall, not just on the way to synagogue. They wear this all the time. 
It's a constant reminder that they are under the authority of God. They want their heads covered to the glory of God. They want to be living to the glory of God. And so they wear this yarmulke all the time, what they call a kaput, all the time, so as to constantly remind themselves that they're under the authority of God. Then if you walk into a Jewish home or business, you will see a mezuzah. That is a tiny rectangular box with a scroll in it containing the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You see them on every hotel room, in every hotel. In it moved in. When we first moved into our business, uh, where our ministry is housed now nearly 10 years ago, moved into our own uh, office complex at uh, essentially at Preston and uh, Campbell Road up in North Dallas, the business, 14-story building, the building was owned by an, a servant Orthodox Jew in Toronto. He had one of these on every office door on the 14-story building. I love that it was there. Eventually sold the building and they took him down, and I was sorry about that. And an observant Jew will touch that box going in or going out. This is out of Deuteronomy 6, where the Lord says, place these commands on your doorposts and your thresholds. Every observant Jewish home will have one of these. They don't separate Sunday, Monday, spiritual, secular, religion, real world. They live every day, and they wear the clothing, and they have the kippah, and they have the mezuzah to remind them of the urgency of living every day under submission to Torah, to the law of God. According to the Old Testament, there's this command, evening, morning, and at noon do I pray. So three times a day, the Jewish people stop and pray, wherever they are every day. We typically fly over on evening flights. Uh, it's a lot easier to get over there and sleep during the night, that sort of thing. But if you ever take a day flight over to Israel and you have observant Jews on your flight, they will get up three times if the flight's long enough and they will pray. They will figure out where Jerusalem is based on where the airplane's going and they will face the temple in Jerusalem where it used to be and they will pray on the airplane. They will do this. If you employ an observant Jew in your business, they will want to pray evening, morning, and at noon, usually at 9, 12, and 3. Well, I pray every day. That's how Judaism is practiced. Coming out of that kind of tradition, in the monastic tradition, Christianity, some have picked up Psalm 119, 164. Seven times a day, I praise you for your righteous rules. In some monastic traditions, they have prayer times seven times a day they will stop to pray. I have a good friend who actually is the number two person at the Mount Sinai Monastery in Egypt. He's in charge of the library there, Father Justin. He grew up as a Baptist missionary, son of missionaries, converted to orthodoxy uh, when he was in college at University of Texas, and now is a Greek Orthodox monk and lives in the monastery at St. Catherine's and is in charge of their phenomenal library. There's an amazing person, an incredible person. He was in Dallas some years ago, and I had him preach for me at Park Cities on Sunday. The big, the beard, the robe, the whole nine yards. He's, he's a monk. He's an Orthodox monk. Grew up, grew up Baptist, now Orthodox. Seven times a day. Seven times a day. Starting before sunlap, all the way to sundown, he and his brothers stopped to pray. This tradition of living every day and being reminded every day of being submitted to God every day. Well, the genius of all of that, the source of all of that is Jesus' statement here in John 15. 
Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. So if you've got a vine and you sever the branches, what kind of fruit will you get? If you attach the branch to the vine one hour a week on Sunday morning, what kind of fruit will you get? If you keep the branch attached to the vine as many minutes as you might spend in prayer or Bible study during the week, what kind of fruit will you get? This is the way of relationships. If you only spend as much time with your spouse as you spend here in chapel, you probably don't have the best marriage, right? If you only spend as much time with your friends as you spend here, you probably don't have the best friendships. But we have bought this Western Greco-Roman transactional religion, go to church on Sunday and God will bless you on Monday, and it's killing our souls. God says his plan for renewal starts with us. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. If you want to see your land healed, start with your heart. If you want to see the conflicts in the world be different, start with your soul. If you want to see America have a moral rebirth, seek a personal rebirth. Starts with our souls. I came back from Israel last Wednesday burdened on a new level of depth that we so desperately in America need the kind of awakening that has to start with us. I was so humbled by the Jewish people and the observancy of their lives and the way that they live under their law. I so wish, I so pray, as Paul did, that they could understand the joy of living under grace with that same zeal with that same submission, with that same surrender, if they could only know the grace that we have. But then I realized I know that grace. Am I living under that grace? When's the last time you gave your heart to Jesus? When's the last time you got with Jesus and said, I want to give all of me to you. I'm going to write the blank check. I want to put it all on the altar. I want to present my body a living sacrifice. That's the last time you were in position to experience God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's the last time you were a catalyst for God healing your land by healing your heart. Why not today? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God as your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. Dwight Moody said it like this, the fact is we are leaky vessels, and we have to keep right under the fountain all the time to keep full of Christ and so have fresh supply.
Let's keep right under the fountain this week. Pray with me. If it's been a while since you just said, Lord, I want to give you my life as a living sacrifice, would you say that to him right now? Just say those words to him. Lord, I'm presenting my life as a living sacrifice. I'm giving all of me to you. I'm surrendering all of me to you. Would you tell him that right now? Would you ask him to help you not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind in his word and his worship? Would you ask him to help you do that more than ever before in your life? Now would you ask him to use your life this day and this week, your influence this day and this week, as a catalyst for the moral and spiritual awakening we need so desperately, praying for God to heal our land by healing your heart. Would you pray for that? Father God, I thank you for the privilege of giving our lives broken as we are to you and knowing that you receive these gifts, that you welcome our hearts, that you will bless all that we will ask you to bless. And you will bless this nation we love to the degree that we love you. May we live now as a living sacrifice to your glory and our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless. Have a great day.